Good morning, Chelton. How are you this morning? It is the fifth week of our new normal. How are you hanging in there? It's kind of a complicated question, isn't it now? Didn't used to be as complicated. At least if you're anything like me, your answer changes about every five minutes as to how you're doing. It's been a rough week for me, if I can be perfectly honest. I, uh, I've actually been a little embarrassed and a little disappointed as to how I feel like I've been handling things this past week. It's been full of meltdowns uh, for a number of different reasons, which I won't go into now. Um, I've had my selfishness exposed this week. Um, I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread, um, kind of just tired of everything going on, and I feel like I'm just easily frazzled and, and ready to melt down and fall apart at any moment. And uh, maybe it's I'm just ready to be with people, ready to be with you. Uh, and it just maybe this is my extreme extrovertness, just longing to be with people. And introverts, if this is what you feel on a normal basis, well, I'm sorry, and I get it a little bit more right now. Um, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's been your week too. I don't know exactly how your week has been. Um, maybe you've had moments where you feel like you're holding on by just the slightest of thread, and the smallest thing can just set you off. Well, that's been my week. And so this week I've been meditating on a passage in James chapter 1, which I'd like for us to think about together for a few minutes. Spend a little time there this morning and meditate on something that sounds really good and I want really badly and yet seems to be a challenge for me this week, and that's the, that, that's the area of joy. And so I want to read for us just the first four verses of James chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord from James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, if you were to look at the book of James, you would find that most scholars believe that it's the very first New Testament book that we have written. Um, it's often attributed to James, the, the brother of Jesus, who's a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And if you would read the book of Acts, you would find that at a time that the early church in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 8, falls under extreme persecution from those who would oppose Christ and, and the followers of the way, as the church was called in those days. And they were driven from their homes in Jerusalem. They were scattered. They were dispersed among the whole Roman Empire. And that's who Jesus, James is writing to here. He's writing to Christians who have been scattered and are experiencing all sorts of trials. The trials they're experiencing are they've been forced from their homes, from their communities. They're afraid for their lives. There's anxieties about where they will live and what will happen to their friends and where their food will come. They couldn't work from home, right, to, to earn money. They had to leave everything. I'm sure they had questions doubting God's goodness and his ability to protect them and, and all sorts of things that we might naturally experience. And James actually writes to them and says, brothers and sisters, consider this, these opportunities, these experiences you have, these trials, consider them pure joy. When you come across suffering and trials and difficulties of any kind, no matter what kind they are, Trials of any size, shape, duration, 
any variety, any trial you go through, James says, think about joy. And as we think about the situation that we find ourselves in, that is pretty much, that's the same for us, right? We're all facing trials of many kinds, and maybe our trials aren't the same as the early church, but James makes it really clear he's not talking about certain degrees of trials. He's talking about any trial, any temptation, any difficulty that comes against you as an opportunity for joy. And that is what our lives are filled with, right? Whether that's simple trials of being stuck inside your home with the same people every single day, all day, with no break from each other, and all the smallest things, the little quirks are just, they're too much, and you just can't handle them anymore. Maybe it's the trial of homeschooling where parents who were not expecting to have to be a teacher as well as working from home, are, that, that's been dropped on you. You don't have a choice in that. Or kids, your parents did not sign up to be your teachers, and many of them don't like doing it. And it's hard because you can't go to school, and there's a trial there. There's trials of loneliness from those who are feeling isolated. We're not able to see our friends, much less hug them and actually spend time with them. And really, FaceTime and Zoom just aren't enough. We're physical creatures, and we're lacking that. There's trials of anxiety and fear, all the what-ifs that run through our mind. What if I lose my job? Or maybe you have lost your, your job, and you have no income coming in. And where will, where will our, our, our mortgage payment come from? And what about groceries and all the bills that are going to keep on coming? And there's angst, and there's disappointment from lost plans and expectations that you had of maybe your senior year, if you heard... Uh, Jake and our, one of our high school seniors, McKenna, this past Wednesday on the midweek update, they shared a little bit about what that was like. It's the loss of control. Then there's threats of our lives, of health. There's the threat of cancer, trials of grief. I mean, we could just go on and on about all the trials that we face in this world. But alongside of those trials, James says, consider joy. And that word consider is really important. It's saying don't forget about joy. You see, as what happens is when we face these trials in life, all of us, no matter what degree they are, they have a tendency of, help, of forcing us to kind of focus in and, and have our, our vision narrowed in on just this, the difficulties that we're experiencing in that moment. And we lose sight often of the bigger picture. And we're called to consider joy to think about and to remind ourselves of joy. And the important thing to know is joy is not this copy and paste smile on our face, everything's going well and I can ignore all the sorrow and the difficulty in life. That's not true joy. Joy doesn't deny the reality of suffering. It doesn't deny the trial. And if you feel today that you have conflicting emotions, that doesn't mean that there's a lack of joy. The presence of grief or sadness or loss during a trial does not mean that joy can't be present as well. Jesus embodies this and displays this throughout his life and throughout his ministry. He doesn't minimize the struggles that we experience. In fact, God himself comes near to us. He knows what it's like, not in some abstract theoretical way, but in a really physical way. God took on flesh and became like one of us, and he knows exactly what it's like to walk through trials. He knows what it's like to be human. It's the amazing mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus became human. And he subjected himself to the same trials that we experience. And he never minimizes other people's trials. 
One of the amazing things to me in John chapter 11, you see this beautiful display of this, where Jesus and his friends are grieving the loss of Lazarus, their friend and brother. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't look at his friends and go, hey, suck it up. Can count it pure joy. This is an amazing opportunity to, to, to be joyful. Just stop pouting. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, we find the shortest verse in the entire English Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. Jesus entered into that sorrow with his friends, even though he knew in just moments he would raise Lazarus from the dead. Joy doesn't deny robotically that there's something bad in life. It's not cold, it's not emotionless. But instead, joy comes into the picture alongside of the trial and transforms everything. It says, think about, while you're thinking about the trial and facing the trial and the difficulty that's going on in your life, bring joy into the picture. Do you ever see those mosaic artworks where you've got a whole bunch of little pictures, a series of little pictures that if you're really close, you see each picture represents something. But if you take a couple steps back and you see the bigger picture, you see a larger face start to come into, into, into view or a bigger picture. Something else takes place. To me, those pictures are magic. I don't know how, those, how the artists pull that off and how they do that. It's amazing to me. And in some ways, I think that's what James is inviting us to do, to step out of our very real trials and to allow the greater picture of what God is doing to come into focus, which is what brings about joy in our lives. You see, the gospel allows us to be honest about the realities that we face in life, but it doesn't leave those trials to stand alone. They must always be considered alongside the work of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his promised return, and all the promises that he has given to us, all the benefits that come from being united with Christ. As we're called to consider joy, we look then next at what James says in verse, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 3, as to why we can do that. What is it that brings joy in the midst, alongside of the trials that we face? Verse 3, he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And to let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, what James is doing is he's taking a couple of, he's helping us understand a little bit of what joy really is. First thing I think he's doing is saying that true joy is anchored to something that is permanent, which is our salvation in Christ. You see, he's talking about our salvation and what Christ has won for us, bringing us to maturity and completeness in Christ. He's talking about anchoring our joy to something that cannot be touched. You see, we often connect the emotion of happiness and joy to something that's temporary in life to our circumstances, whether it's the joy of receiving a gift or a joy of a good meal or family time when the kids are actually getting along, the joy of a child being born, a joy of some momentous occasion in life, circumstances, or we connect it to people. The problem is all of those joys can be gone in a moment whether through death or some breakdown in relationship, there can be something that can take away those sources of joy. 
All of them are temporary. And James is saying that as followers of Christ, our joy that comes into the picture alongside of suffering is not found in circumstances that are temporary, but are anchored into the reality of God's work in our lives and the salvation that he has brought and the blessings that come along with being united to Christ. Things that, in, that, that, that nothing can touch. Romans chapter 8 just reminds us of this beautiful picture that says, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nothing, and he lists a whole, Paul lists a whole bunch of things and says there's not a single thing in creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He says that's where our joy is anchored because we are united with Christ and it's in his presence that the, there is fullness of joy, Psalm 16 says. The second thing he says is that as you're going through trials, know that there is a God at work in your life and in your trials that is far bigger than any of the trials, even if you combine them all together. We have a God who redeems. Unfortunately, I think many of us have a very weak or unbiblical theology of suffering. We all have a theology of suffering, whether you know it or not. Many of us, that theology is that we shouldn't suffer at all. And sometimes our, our American dream and our prosperity, we kind of take that and import that into, um, into our understanding of, of Christ and relationship with him. And, and so we think that, that if we're following Jesus, that we actually shouldn't suffer at all, but, but things should go really well for us. Even though the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed, the greatest trial of his life, the most intense suffering, when he was going to be abandoned and unjustly and brutally murdered, he was treated that way. He, on that night, he looks at his disciples and says, you should expect trouble. There will be trouble. But take heart, he says, I've overcome. For many of us, though, our theology says that God might be bringing suffering on us uh, uh, to, to punish us or to teach us some mental lesson or exercise as if that's the accomplished goal. And yet, what we see throughout scripture is that the suffering that we experience in life comes about because this world is broken and there is a curse upon it that Christ will one day come and will free us from. And so for now, we sit in this world that is groaning, Romans says, groaning to be freed from the curse. And so we experience the suffering of living in a broken world. But in the in light of all of that, in the face of any suffering and any trial that we face, God is at work and he is redeeming that. This is what he's saying. He says, let these trials that are coming, they're testing your faith, which produces perseverance, and the perseverance will bring about Christ-likeness, maturity, completeness, not lacking anything. God is at work in your present situation to redeem everything that you're experiencing. If you want proof of that, all you have to think back to is last week where we celebrated the resurrection. You see, the very day that Christ was crucified, the giver of life gave his life, that the day that Jesus was crucified came to be known as what? Good Friday. And if God can redeem the death of Jesus, his son, and bring it about so that it brings about life for us, then there is no situation that you experience in your life that is beyond God's ability to redeem. But do you see it? Do you, are, are you looking for places where God is at work redeeming the trials that you're experiencing? Because one day he has promised to come and reverse 
all of this, to make things new, and to come and to restore things in a way that that we can't even imagine what he has in store for us. To where sickness and death will be defeated and gone when Jesus returns. And we can't wait for that. And yet right now, we sit in this time where we're waiting for that to come. But we still see little glimpses of God's redeeming work in our lives. So in the trials that you're facing today, where is God at work? Where is God using those trials in your life to make you like Christ? Where is he using those trials to draw others to himself? Because he is. That's what James is saying here in verses 3 and 4. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance will result in you being made like Christ. It's a refining fire. Listen to the way that the Apostle Peter describes this. He says, praise be to God. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is being kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time when Christ returns. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to go and suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come, these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of worth greater than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, so in the same way that gold is refined by fire, God is refining our faith and growing, strengthening that muscle of trust and dependence on him. So that your faith may result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the end of your sal- the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Which means that in this time, Christ is doing a number of things in our lives. He's revealing idols. He's revealing our need for him. He's calling us to increase our, our dependence on him and he's strengthening the muscle of faith in your life. And if those things are all true, then they begin to just, the seed of joy begins to grow in your life. A man named Charles Spurgeon, who faced a lot of trials in his life, said this, and one of my favorite quotes ever. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Which means I've learned to embrace the trials that have come against because they drive me back to Christ. And over this past week, that's where my reality has been. It's been a struggle for joy for me this past week. And so I found myself being thrown against the rock of ages. And so I went back and over his word and went to many of the promises that he has said, that he has given to us, those of us who are with Christ, who are in Christ. He has given us beautiful promises, and I found myself this week going back to them over and over again. And I found things like this, promises in Romans 8, 28, that says that we know that in all things God works For the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And in fact, in just a few verses later than that, he talks about your sanctification, your glorification, the work that Christ is doing in your heart to make you like him. He talks about them in the past tense. They're so set. It is so certain 
that he talks about those things in the past tense. I came to promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 that says, We don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Why? Because our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says the light and momentary troubles that we face, and if you flip forward a few chapters and you read what his light and momentary troubles are, it's things like this. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked and I spent a day and the night in the open sea. And Paul says all those trials are light and momentary in comparison to what they are achieving for us, which is glory that will be revealed one day. God is at work in redeeming these. He's growing us. He's maturing us. He's creating Christ's likeness in us. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion the day of Christ, that one day you and I will stand before Jesus perfectly complete, not lacking anything, that God has promised that we will be pure, that we will be transformed, and we will see him, and nothing can snatch us from his hand. And that in the meanwhile, Jesus has promised us in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you even to the very end of the age. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, no matter what trial you go through. Which means that there is nothing in Christ that he has given you that a virus can touch. There is nothing that cancer can do to those promises that you have in Christ. There is nothing that unemployment or poverty can touch. They cannot steal from you our joy. You cannot lose a bit of it, even if you lose all of your investments in saving. These are things that you cannot lose because they were gifted to you by the blood of Jesus and he conquered everything that stood in between you and him. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ no trial that you face can do that. One of my favorite bands, 10th Avenue North, has a song. It's called No One Can Steal Our Joy, and I've been listening to it. And the verse starts out this way. It says, even when the fear surrounds us, even in the dead of night, even in the darkest shadows, you will never leave our side. Even when our dreams are shattered and all of our strength gives way, you're the hope that can't be taken. Even in the midst of pain, no one can steal our joy. Friends, I hope those promises that we've been reminded of today just spark a little bit of joy, but if they don't, where do we go if joy seems elusive and you don't feel joyful? As we preach to ourselves, as we are reminding one another of the joy that we have in Christ that cannot be taken, Sometimes you feel like you're just trying to muster up the joy. And if you've ever tried to make yourself joyful, you know it's impossible. You can't create joy in yourself because joy is not the end in itself. It's a side effect of being with God. And so we find ourselves returning to God over and over again and saying, just like the psalmist did, Psalmist David in, in Psalm 51, we ask for joy and we say like the psalmist, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, restore our joy in the midst of these trials. Go to him. Turn to him over and over again. And ask for joy. 
what we find in the book of Galatians is that joy is a result. It's a fruit of the Spirit, as if we humans were trees. It's the fruit that grows from being anchored in Christ, from being rooted in Him. And so let's take a minute and let's go to the Lord together and let's ask Him for this joy. Father, we do come before you very weak, frail, small. Our, our joy is frail. It's on the edge all the time, it feels like. There's so many things competing for our attention. And so, Jesus, we want to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you, the joy of making us your children, you endured the cross. You faced trials. Jesus, would you give us your joy as you walk alongside of us, knowing that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from your love. Fill us with joy. Bless us, Lord. Make us a blessing so that we can take your love, your light, your joy, and share it with those around us. Return to us the joy of your salvation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.